So that's going to be August 18th when Claude King is going to be here. And I want to say to you, it is imperative that you be here. All right, Every single one of us from our East Campus, from our South Campus together in this room, uh, we don't want anybody to miss out on what God is going to do. And so if, if you have something scheduled for that day, cancel it for real. You don't want to miss it. Okay, All of us together uh, in this service together to see what God's going to do as we uh, come and concentr- consecrate ourselves to God to see what God might do. And listen, we are praying that this would be a watermark moment, right? That'll become part of the history of Eastwood. Right? We'll tell about this to our children, potentially, our grandchildren. And so we look forward to that. And so anyway, don't miss it. Please don't miss it. 10 o'clock, August 18, all right? Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to, uh, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I want to start off this morning by saying something, a statement, that in and of itself is not that radical, all right? As I say it, you're going to wholeheartedly agree with it, all right? You're going to say, yes, amen, preacher, that's right. But while the statement itself is not that radical, and the implications of the statement are very radical, right? Because it's one thing to say it and to agree with it, it's another thing to live it out. And so that's where the radical part of it gets from, okay? That's where, it begets, that's where it gets radical. So are you ready for the statement? Here it is. Christianity is a missionary religion. Let me say it again. Christianity is a missionary religion. You say, well, preacher, what evidence do you have to put it in that way, in those terms? Well, I would point you to no other proof, no greater proof, to the validity of that statement than to look at Jesus Christ himself, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, God has only one son, and guess what he's sending to earth to be? A missionary, right? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He left his home in heaven, crossed space and time and culture to bring the good news that sinners can be saved. And so without a doubt, Jesus was a missionary, and we in turn are supposed to imitate him, even as Paul called us to do that in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where Paul says, be imitators of me, that's Paul, be imitators of Paul as I am of Christ. Imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. So that means that as Christ was a missionary, we are to be missionaries as well. Someone once said, and rightly so, every heart with Christ is a missionary, and every heart without Christ is a mission field. Again, Christianity is a missionary religion. That that means that you and I need to be great commission Christians, right? Ready to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So today we're going to look at that classic great commission text. And in doing so, I want to do two things this morning. One is I want to clearly communicate to you my heart for gospel missions beginning in Bowling Green and extending to the ends of the earth. But secondly, this morning, I want to challenge every single one of you who are Christians, from the youngest to the oldest in the room here, to pick up the missionary mantle and be a great commission Christian. Look, no doubt about it. Eastwood Baptist Church is a great commission church. Amen? Amen. Absolutely it is, right? You, if you were to poll people across the state of Kentucky and around Bowling Green, maybe even in the, in, in, in the whole Southern Baptist Convention, What are some great commissioned churches? And undoubtedly, Eastwood would be on that list. 
So the question is not, is Eastwood a Great Commission church? The question we're going to get at today is, is Eastwood filled with Great Commission Christians? I pray that it will be ever more and more. So I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning here at Eastwood. We value the power of God's Word. It is God's Word to us. And here's what God says to you and to me concerning this. Matthew 28, beginning in the 18th verse. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask that you would move in the service. Father, we also pray that you've already moved in the 930 service and at the 1030 South Campus service, God, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to bear fruit from those services and then would just come here, God, and fill this place and bear much fruit in our hearts, God. We have been called, you have called us to be great commission Christians and we want to live that out and to pick up that missionary mantle, every one of us who is a Christian. Father, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice who has not yet turned and trusted Christ, I pray today would be the day they would hear their need for a Savior, would see their sin, they would see Christ crucified on the cross for their sin, and would turn and trust in Christ and be saved. God, move in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Grab your seat there, grab your seat. So today's truth, if, if, if you were to go out to lunch and somebody says, what did y'all's preacher preach about today? Here it is, today's truth, all right? The summary point for this message is this. Christ commissions every Christian to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me say it again. Christ commissions every Christian to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. So if you're a math person, let's put it a different way. Let's put it in, in, in an equation, all right? Christian equals missionary, Write that down, tweet it, whatever you want to do, right? Christian equals missionary. So since Christ commissions every Christian to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, we see five actions here in our text today to help us make that a reality. And here's the first one is this. It is to receive the Christ who gives the commission. You see, before we can ever carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, we must first receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, undoubtedly, there are people here amongst us today, right? In our midst who have not yet trusted Christ. You have not yet repented. First, let me say, I am so thankful that you're here on this Lord's Day. If you're here and you've not yet repented and trusted in Christ, praise God that you're here. You're in the right place. God has appointed for you today to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and He longs for you to receive it. If that's you this morning, listen to me very carefully. You need salvation through Christ more than the air that you're breathing. You see, you've sinned against God. You stand guilty before Him. Your good deeds cannot cover over your sins no matter how good they've been because guilty people are guilty regardless of how much good they've done. The question is not, have I done good? The question is, have I sinned and one sin upon the authority of God's word is enough to condemn you to hell forevermore and you might say Ben come on man that, that that sounds a little radical even one sin and I would lovingly say back to you you don't realize how radical even one sin 
is against our holy God. You have sinned against Almighty God, God who is holy, holy, holy. That's a very Hebrew way of saying he is the holiest of holy. He is perfect in his holiness, and we cannot stand in his presence if we fall short of that. And then fall short we have. Ben Simpson has fallen short. Romans 3.23 says that I have and that we all have. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our sin deserves the wrath of God poured out on us in hell forevermore. But I didn't come to preach y'all bad news. That's bad news, man. I came to preach good news to y'all this morning because God sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that you can't live and to die the death that you deserve and every single person who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ will be saved. Praise God. You know what that means, guys? That means that for every person who will receive Christ, who will believe on Jesus, Jesus earned heaven for you and paid hell for you. And he rose to life again from that tomb on that third day after being crucified to prove that his life and his death were sufficient to save you from your sins if you would simply turn and trust in them. Romans 10, 8 through 11 says, but what is it saying? The word's near you, it's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, and listen closely, y'all, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So I say to you this morning, if you've not yet believed on Christ, won't you trust in him this morning? Won't you this very hour come to Christ? Man, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes, that he would convict you of your sin, that that the Holy Spirit would call you to Jesus to be saved, that you'd get this clear call from the Lord to turn and trust Christ this morning, that you would not grieve the Holy Spirit, but would today turn and trust in Christ. That's the first step. That's the first step. Second Once you've received the Christ who gives the commission, this is for everybody else now who's already in Christ. You, number two, you go in the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 18, Matthew 28, 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to the apostles, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now when you think about the Great Commission, man, this is the verse that often gets left out, right? We typically just go to verse 20. We just skip over this one, right? But you've got to understand that this, this, this is perhaps the most important verse in the entire text. Because here Jesus is declaring that his kingdom is here. It's here. His kingdom has been established and he's about to begin a campaign to win the world, to take back what was his and what is his. And in the next verse, he's going to send us out. But in this verse, in verse 18, he establishes that he is not some dweeb He's not some interloper, right? He's not some pretender. He's the real deal who has the authority of both heaven and earth. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is declaring and demonstrating his authority. He demonstrated his authority over nature when he rebuked the stormy sea and it fell silent. He he demonstrated that he has authority over disease when he healed the lame, the mute, the lepers, the blind. He demonstrated that he has authority over demons when he exercised the, uh, the, the, the demonic from all sorts of people. 
throughout his ministry. Through the cross, he, he demonstrated that he has authority over sin. And throughout the resurrection, or through the resurrection, he demonstrated that he has authority even over death. But here in the capstone of Matthew 28, Jesus leaves no wiggle room as far as how extensive his authority is. You see, we may be tempted to think, well, maybe he's kind of like this geographic authority. Right, because think about it, Israel is actually very tiny where all this took place, where all this authority was demonstrated. Israel is like the size of New Jersey, okay? Very tiny. And so we may be tempted to think that, that maybe he's this geographical authority, but here he blows it out of the water. He wants to be clear that, he, that his authority is not only effective there, but it's effective to the ends of the earth. And so you know what that means? Church, that means that there's not a spot on planet earth that he doesn't have authority over wherever you put your foot on land or sea. Know that it's under his authority. One commentator wrote it this way. Now Jesus has received the fullest possible authority for his authority in heaven and on earth. He's making clear that the limitations that apply throughout the incarnation no longer apply to him. He has supreme authority throughout the universe. Every commission needs an authority to send it out, and the authority with which you've been sent out under is infinite, right? It's almighty. That's the, there is no greater authority in the universe than Jesus. That's the authority that you and I go in when we carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Third, we carry the gospel to all the nations, beginning in Bowling Green. That's the third thing I want you to see this morning. Carry the gospel to all the nations, beginning in Bowling Green. There's that caveat on the end. We need to grasp that this morning. You see, Jesus' authority uncovers the entire earth, right? It's coextensive. The commission and the authority are coextensive, right? They're the same. He, his, his authority covers the heavens and the earth, and the commission he's given us is to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Man, I want to think, I want you to thank God for just a moment because God doesn't desire just one nation. He doesn't desire just one people group, man. He desires all nation, all people groups to come under the banner of Christ. And we need to praise God for that because truth be told, if God just wanted one people group, one nation, we would be left out of the kingdom of God. Amen? In fact, when you think about the ends of the earth, do you know where the ends of the earth were when Jesus set out in his ministry, when he commissioned the church? Man, Kentucky was like the ends of the earth. There's this great video on YouTube. I showed it a few weeks ago to South Campus on a Wednesday night, and it shows historically the map as, as Christianity spread, and, and, and I just want you to know the last frontier on that map was America, right? The, 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 the North America, South America, but particularly North America. We were the ends of the earth, and praise God that he didn't just desire just one people group, one tribe, one nation. He desired all nations in fact, we get a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like there in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. We read this. It says, after this, I look. This is John speaking. He said, behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, 
with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be our God forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, all tribes, all peoples, all nations, all languages are going to be in heaven at the end of the age, right? We've read the end of the book. But it's our responsibility as great commissioned Christians between the resurrection and the consummation to bring that reality about God has sent us to win the nations to Jesus. And how do we do that? We do that no other way than through the gospel itself, sharing the gospel. You say, well, isn't there a greater strategy than that? (laughs) There is no greater strategy because it is the power from God unto people to be saved, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we're going to use to win the world to Christ. Yeah, you think about different mission strategies. Yeah, there's a need for clean water. There's a need for, for hospitals and agricultural education, There's a need in this world to build houses and things like that and to work in orphanages and establish schools. We need to feed and clothe the destitute and those who are in crisis. Yeah, there's a need for economic and community development and standing against human trafficking. But listen to me very carefully, church, this morning. If we do all of that and don't give them the gospel, we have utterly failed. We've only alleviated their temporal suffering and have done nothing to address their eternal suffering. All of those social goods are a vehicle. They must be a vehicle to sow the gospel into the lives of people who are sinners in need of a Savior. And so Eastwood, we never, we must never drift from our actual mission. Jesus didn't send us into nations to dig wells or to conduct dental missions, right? He sent us into the nations to preach and to share the gospel, and we'll use all of those things as a vehicle to get that word out. But those things must never become the mission, because the mission is the gospel itself. Here at Eastwood, man, we take take missions very seriously, don't we? Very seriously, right? We do, and we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to take missions very seriously. We challenge you to pray for missions and to give to missions and we challenge you to go on missions and we do that very well i mean i'm so um i'm always amazed that when i think about and hear people talk about all of the missionaries who have given themselves to full-time missions work from eastwood been sent out from eastwood praise god for that and every year we send out for short-term missions like over a hundred people from Eastwood, from both campuses, to go out and and share Jesus around the world. But one thing, and you've got to hear my heart this morning, that we absolutely must get straight in our minds, is that go to the nations begins across the street from where you live. The great evangelist D.L. Moody, who is always great for a quote, man, He's so good. He once met this this young fellow on a train, and he was so excited, this, this young man was, about going to Africa. He was bubbling, man, about winning the heathen to Christ. And Mr. Moody asking this pertinent question. He said, son, I'm glad you're excited to go to Africa. 
but how many souls have you brought to the Lord here at home? And after a great pause, the young man answered truthfully. He said, Mr. Moody, I don't know of a single soul that I have won here at home. And Moody replied, then son, you'd probably best start at home before going to Africa. Beloved, please hear me this morning, man. I I want you to have a heart for the nations. We need a heart for the nations. But listen to me, the heart for the nations begins right here in Bowling Green. You've probably heard the C.T. Studd quote a lot of times that says this, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest where? At home. At home. Yes, there is missions over there, but there is missions right here. As you leave the parking lot today, you are entering the mission field. And we got to grasp this, right? That the first mission field is right here where God has placed us to reach this city for Christ. And believe me, the fields are ripe for the harvest. They are white for the harvest right here in Bowling Green because every heart without Christ is a mission field. And while we may set aside a few weeks to personally take the gospel of the nations and praise God for that, and we're going to continue to do that, we must dedicate ourselves to personally taking the gospel across the street the other 40 weeks out of the year. Think about this for just a moment. Here's the crazy thing. We talk about going to the nations, but in 2019, God is sending the nations to us. He is. Here in America, there are 84 unreached people groups, 84 right within our borders, An unreached people group is defined as having 0.1% or less Christian adherence in that that group and no evidence of a self-sustaining gospel movement. And we have 84 of those people groups right here within our borders and undoubtedly one or two of them are here in Kentucky, even here in Bowling Green, they're our neighbors. We pass them in the grocery store. Our children go to school with them, right? And we have the gospel, and they need the gospel, and we need to get them the gospel. Let me tell you what God did. This is, this is amazing. I love when, sometimes you know something, but isn't it great when God says, hey, no, I'm serious, I mean it, this is true, right? When he just reminds us of that, number one, that he's real. I already believe that he's real, that he's, that he's living, that he's active, but praise God when he just gives us that little thing that says, no, no, I mean it, I am. I'm really alive. Back in January at South Campus, I preached a message about sharing the gospel, and I mentioned that God's sending the nations to Bowling Green. And after that service, we, we had this campus potluck, and so we were around later than normal. We, about 1.15 that afternoon, as we're cleaning up, this man walks in. And he's kind of walking around, milling around, looking around, and of course, everybody's giving me the eye like, preacher, you gonna go talk to him? You know, it's like, well, y'all could talk to him too, but nevertheless, preacher, you gonna go talk to him? So I did. I went up and talked to him. I began to engage him. I couldn't tell. He was clearly Middle Eastern or Indian descent. I, I wasn't exactly sure when I saw him. And so I went up to him. I began to talk with him. His name was Murray. He had grown up in India and had recently come to Bowling Green, most recently through Minneapolis, to work with Camping World. I showed him around, I showed him around for a few minutes, and then I invited him. I said, hey, Murray, sit down here, man. I want to get to know you. I want to talk with you. And so we sat down there in the fireside there on the couches and the chairs there. And knowing what I had just preached, 
that God is sending the nations to us. I mean, I, I couldn't wait to get to the gospel with him. And so I began to talk with him about that, seeing you know, where he is with Christ, what he knew about Jesus, and here's what he told me. He said, I'm actually searching for truth. He had recently been intrigued by Christianity. He had been raised a Hindu, but a few weeks earlier he had discovered a guy named Ravi Zacharias, right? Praise God. You know, most of you all know Ravi Zacharias. He's a great Indian-born Christian apologist. Murray said that he was surprised when he began to find out more about Ravi that he and Ravi were from the same province in India. And so I began to clearly, explicitly engage Murray with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we were finished, I would love to stand here and tell you that he got down on his knees and trusted Christ, but he didn't. But you know what he said? He said, I want to know more. Do you have a book? Or something that I can have to go read more about that. And I ran with him to my office. I grabbed a, a book by Dr. John MacArthur says, Why Only One Way, which is defense of the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we tried to follow up with Murray, and we just never able to get a hold of him. But when Murray left that day, man, I was on cloud nine. Can you imagine? That's how amazing our God is, y'all. The very day that I preached about the nations being in Bowling Green, God sent the nations not just to Bowling Green, but to Eastwood Baptist Church inside South Campus. I have no doubt that God sent Murray that day. Not only because he needed to hear the gospel, but because this preacher needed to see that the nations are here so that I could come tell you guys. When we say this, we're not talking theoretical here. God has brought them here, and they are hungry for somebody to cross the street and to share Jesus with them. Beloved, the nations are here. We've got to carry the gospel to them. So whether we go to the nations there or we go to the nations here, it doesn't matter as long as you carry the gospel to them. Carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Beginning in Bowling Green. Fourth, as a missionary, as a great commission Christian, you should aim for disciples instead of decisions. Aim for disciples instead of decisions. Look here at Matthew, verse, uh, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now it's important here to understand that the go is actually not the primary verb here. You've probably heard preachers say that before, that the go in the Greek is actually a, a, a participle. It's an ing verb, so literally it would be translated as you are going. The primary verb here in the Great Commission is actually make disciples. Now, I want to say to you this morning that making a disciple is much different than getting a decision, right? Getting somebody to pray a prayer or to walk an aisle or to ask Jesus into their heart, right? A, a disciple is one who doesn't just give lip service. A disciple is one who takes up the cross of Jesus and follows him. I heard an African pastor from Zambia say a few months back, he said this, he said, if the numbers of salvations coming out of Africa were real, the continent of Africa would have been reached dozens of times. And it hasn't been. Why is that? Because oftentimes in our evangelism, we aim for decisions instead of disciples, right? People often give lip service, but they don't follow Jesus. And we don't help them to actually follow Jesus. We don't help them become a disciple. 
You see, Jesus breaks down what it means to be a disciple into two aspects, and he gives us two actions that correspond to those two aspects. The first aspect is conversion to Christ. This is where we share the gospel with someone, with a lost person, and they see their sin, they turn from their sin, they trust in Christ. It's represented here in the commission by the word baptized. You see that there in the text? Go and make disciples, baptizing them. Now get into the water, as you well know, of baptism makes you no more a Christian than it makes you a fish. But it is the biblical, public profession of faith. It is the biblical, public profession of faith. When a person repents and trusts in Jesus and is saved, they then later enter the water to tell the world that Jesus has saved them, that they were once were dead, but now they're alive. And you enter the waters to testify to that. But once we get up to that point, that's often where we stop when it comes to the Great Commission, right? And we go report those numbers in the, in, the, in, the, in the CP to the SBC, and we say, look at how many baptisms we had. But, where do, but the Great Commission doesn't stop there, does it? No, there's a second aspect. Look at it. It kicks in. It's what we would call obedience, right? Jesus says, after you baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what we call discipleship. Call it whatever you want. We have to teach people to follow Jesus, to help them to grow to be like Christ. Teach them the Bible that they might grow in holiness. Help them follow Jesus in obedience. And our commission isn't complete until we do that. Evangelism is just the beginning. Discipleship is the goal. And there's so much more that we could say on this, okay? But to move on, i got to move on. Finally, as you carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, carry on until Jesus returns. Carry on until Jesus returns. Look at how he closes out this great commission here in verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of of the age beloved we never go out in the great commission alone as we take jesus to the world man jesus goes with us as we share jesus with our neighbors jesus goes with us and he's with us and will never forsake us a lot of us probably memorize this verse in the king james translation instead of behold what does it say in the king james lo And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There was once this young Chinese convert whose given name was Lo. That was his name. His name was Lo. And he got really excited the first time that he read Matthew 28, 20. As this newborn babe in Christ, he took that old English word Lo to apply to him personally. A glow with the joy, man. When he read that, he, 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 he exclaimed to the missionary, Look, missionary! It says, lo, I'm with you always. And I say to you this morning, would that we see this verse as personally as that young Chinese convert did? Ben, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is not comfort for living necessarily. This is comfort in the gospel, right? That's what he's talking about here. He's with us always but here jesus gives us the expiration date on this commission this commission will not go on forever and the date is the end of the age beloved there's coming a time when jesus who came once in the flesh will come again 
in the flesh. He'll return, bring about the end of this age before he ushers in this eternal kingdom. And when he returns, y'all, there will be no more opportunity for the world to come to Christ. At that point, heaven and hell will be fixed. So that means that our job as great commissioned Christians is to get as many into heaven before that day comes. When you think about a job, we all work a job, and most of us don't do it just because we love our job. We do it because on Friday, guess what? They're making it rain, right? We need some money, all right? If I'm going to come back on Monday, they better have paid me on Friday, okay? <laughs> now, just think about this for just a moment. Suppose if someone were to offer us $1,000 for every soul that you would earnestly try to lead to Jesus. Would you try to lead any more people to Jesus than you're doing so right now? Is it possible? I, I'm going to say yes on that one right? Most of us say yes, let's be honest. You get at church and you're talking at lunch, you're like, yeah, absolutely, right? Is it possible that we would attempt to do for money, even at the risk of blunders and ridicules and all the things that oftentimes stop us from sharing the gospel, would we attempt for money what we hesitate or shrink from doing now simply in obedience to God's command? Is our love for money stronger than our love for God or our love for lost souls. Beloved, God is offering you and me something much greater than money as he calls you and me to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Right? He's offering you the joy of seeing another sinner come to salvation, and perhaps there's no greater joy, but he's also offering the joy of the master himself who has commanded you to go in hopes that you would return and hear, well done, good and faithful missionary. In 1879, Charlie Peace, he was this well-known criminal in London. He faced execution by hanging. As they were marching to the gallows, it was custom there to, to have a minister walk behind him, and the minister would often read aloud a passage from this prayer book, and this is the one he chose that day. He said, those who die as Charlie is walking to the gallows, he said, those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. And when the minister read those chilling words, Charlie P. stopped marching, turned to the minister and shouted, do you really believe that? And the startled missionary began to bumble a little bit, stammer, I suppose I do. Well, I don't, said Charlie. But if I did, I would get down on my hands and knees and crawl all over Great Britain, even if it were paved with pieces of glass, if I could rescue just one person from what you just told me. Now, we say not here at Eastwood with the half heart like that minister there. Do you believe this? And the answer is, yes and amen, we believe this. Those that die without Christ will suffer in hell. Then we got to pick up the heart and say, as we believe that, we go to make a difference in that. We want to impact people's eternity. Therefore, we must carry out the gospel and let nothing stand in our way. 
Here's my final prayer this morning. May Eastwood be a great commission church because it is filled with great commission Christians. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we resoundingly ask you, God, to give us a heart for missions. And God, help us to see that that missions begins right here, right here in Bowling Green, God. I pray that every person who has Christ in their heart would be a missionary, would pick up that missionary mantle. Father, I pray you'd work in our midst. But first, God, I want to pray for those who have not yet repented and trusted in Christ. I pray even now, God, the Holy Spirit begin to convict them, to burden them, that they are lost in and of their own works, that they have no hope of life in heaven based on what they have done. They are guilty. Father, help them to see that the only way to remove their guilt is to have it washed away by Jesus, by turning and trusting in Christ and being saved. Father, would you do that even right now? God, I pray that sinner would cry out to you, Father, and be saved. They don't need to repeat after me a prayer. The heart cry of that Christian is enough for you to save them, God. So I pray even right now, they would cry out to you. And Father, I pray for us who have already in Christ, give us eyes to see those around us who need Jesus and help us to be bold, great commission Christians. Fill us with the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the nations. But God, fill us with boldness in the Holy Spirit to take the gospel across the street. Father, move in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.